The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. And um, we're going to kick things off as we always do with our afternoon update, uh, catching you up on all that has happened uh, today. And joining me for the afternoon update, uh, Daniel McConnell, the editor of the Business Post, and Ellen Butler, News Talk reporter. Um, and we might start with uh, the North, and we have had sight, uh, Danny, of the 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 deal uh, between the DUP and the British government. Are, are we any clearer as to how these checks are going to evaporate uh, between Great Britain and Northern Ireland? So basically the formal, I suppose, what has happened is that the UK government have published this document called Safeguarding the Union and basically this will govern the movement of, of freight and kind of uh, between mainland Britain and Northern Ireland and obviously one of the big holdups was and the big DUP complaint was that the North was being treated as a second tier country within the Union and, you know, subject to additional checks that, that didn't exist between Scotland and England or Wales and England, etc. So what we're basically saying that no go- no checks will essentially apply when goods are moving within the internal UK market, say for intelligence-based kind of, invest- you know, say if the cops yeah. suspect something. But by and large, checks will, will dissipate. There still will be the red channel uh, between uh, to say for goods that will continue on down to the Republic because obviously there needs to be some you know, yeah. the integrity of the EU single market has to be retained. But I think there's a there's enough wiggle room or grey area there to soften. So they, I suppose a lot of the kind of formalities will now dissipate. I suppose there is a break clause in the sense you're reviewing all of this. So if this all goes, you know, belly up in a couple of weeks' time, that they, they can review it again. But ultimately, I think there's a, this is a political device in order to get the DUP back around the table. Jeffrey, Jeffrey Donaldson seems to be assuaged enough that there, there's enough there that the hardline unionists can, can, can stomach this. Mm. It's a perfect no but I think there's enough fudge in there. As all these great solutions, there's a good element of fudge in there. I think there's enough fudge in there to allow them, for the DUP to see the glass half full and for others to kind of yeah. see the glass half empty. And, and Ellen, enough fudge in there that people in Brussels paying attention to this will be happy. One would suspect that the integrity of the single market has been maintained. Yeah, they were kind so. of qu- quiet yesterday. We had Simon Coveney on the show. He, he was quite clear that he had several questions about how this was going to work and the people in Brussels would have those questions as well. Yeah, like we're told today that Brussels was kept in the loop with all of this, but it is hard to believe when you think of the, all the work that went into the Windsor framework this time last year it was, that that was, uh, that was announced. And very much they were saying we're not budging on this. And then, of course, the DUP said we're not budging on this. So what, a, a full 12 months later, we've managed to find some kind of compromise. I don't know, like this whole idea of the green lane and the red lane, uh, I suppose there's still those concerns that anything that comes into to Northern Ireland via that supposed green lane that's supposed to stay in Northern Ireland, what's to stop it? Not, basically. Uh, well, they're not back around the table entirely. Yeah, I mean, the, all of this could collapse, Danny, couldn't it still? I mean, there's the possibility of it. Uh, anybody who's been covering the North for long enough will know, you know, don't count your chickens until they're hatched. And I just wonder to, you know, in, in that context, I mean... How wise was it of Mary Lou Macdonald to be talking about a united Ireland now and t- touching distance yesterday? It's like which in Fein they can't almost help themselves when it comes to this issue. Like, I mean, in the immediate aftermath of the Brexit referendum happening in 2016, you had Sinn Féin beating the drum of border polls and all this sort of stuff, completely ratcheting up tensions, etc. So again, I just can question the wisdom of all of this. I would have thought what was the prudent way forward for Sinn Féin was a dignified sort of, yes, we've been waiting to do this work for two years or however long the, the, the Assembly's been collapsed. Um, we're ready to get down to business, not talk about United Ireland, not talk about kind of, not scaremongering, 
what is our probably a, a pretty tetchy unionist population anyway, you know, don't go them. And I think one of the depressing aspects of Northern politics continuously is the inability of them to not go to each other compete. You know, they always mm. always seem to relapse into that kind of, ah, you're only a share of so-and-sos and so are you, blah, blah, blah. You know, I think it's, t- we, everyone just needs to grow up a little bit and just kind of, you know, like, there are significant and real consequences for the assembly and for the institutions not to be up and running in terms of welfare payments to mm. uh, public service, and like the f- mere functioning, like Northern Ireland is not a properly functioning state. It hasn't been. Yes, an awful lot of progress has been made, but there's an awful lot of work yet to be done. We're still nowhere down the line in terms of uh, breaking down the the segregation issue. A lot of the legacy issues still need to be addressed, and all of this will only happen if the assembly and the executive are up and running. So Sinn Fein wading in with the you know, talk of United Ireland was. You know, they just couldn't help themselves. And like ultimately, I'll only believe the proof of this pudding is when the institution is not up for six days, but if it's still there in six months or six years' time. Because six how, years is the big ask. It certainly is, because look how many times it has collapsed and look over the issues upon which it is has Is there collapsed. any real appetite amongst the stakeholders to reform it in such a way that it can't be collapsed? Well, I suppose there's been some talk in recent times of, you know, do you move it to a more normal situation where you have a government and an opposition I mean, like, I think it's in Congress that the DUP have had a veto over this for so long, where all other parties were willing to go in. You know, I think there should have been a change in the rules that said, well, if, if the Alliance and the SCLP and the Ulster Unionists were willing to go in and form a government, a majority government within the Stormont Assembly, then leave the DUP out and let them have their little internal bun fight if, if that's what they so wish. Mm. But I suppose you're then looking at a review of Good Friday altogether and, and, and that that's a dexter can of worms. So you're in this sort of very difficult position. Um, but I, I do think, you know, if if progress, real progress is to be made, we need to look at the workings of the institutions and so that no one party can have that veto. Having said all of that, Ellen, I mean, it is a sizing moment in the history of the six counties in this island that there will be a Sinn Féin First Minister. Absolutely, like Michelle O'Neill speaking earlier about how she's um, more than ready to take up that role of First Minister, First Sinn Féin First Minister. Um, like you say, seismic. And I know Geoffrey Donaldson was asked about it yesterday. Um, will he stomach it, basically? And he said he would, as he has to, if he wants to be part of these institutions. That's just the case it is. And of course, it does add to that, the question about unity. But as as Danny said there, it just doesn't seem like the time for it. I know they said that Mary Lou was asked multiple times by British journalists, will this lead to Irish unity? And she ended up answering that question. But you could argue that she could have said po- you know what, Politicians are time. well able to avoid answering questions so if they know, want to. They, 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 they make an entire career out of it. I just, I just would make that point though. I mean, a lot has been made of this you know, issue of Sinn Féin taking the First Ministry. I mean, in reality it's a co-position. It, like, it, the, the, I suppose the naming of these positions has been kind of awkward since the get-go. Yeah. But I suppose like it, there is, it, it is a symbolic yeah. milestone that she will be the first minister but in operation it is a co sharing, it is a partnership yeah. assistant to the regional manager exactly yeah. uh, the DUP of one says one listener a victory for the little guy against the behemoth of the EU Phil says democracy doesn't exist in the north given the minority party dictating whether the assembly sits or not and John and Limerick says the border is still in the Irish Sea and the never 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 brigade will not accept this in a month of Sundays Henry McKean is uh, in the DUP heartland speaking to what John and Limerick might call the never 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 brigade to get a sense of how they feel and that report coming up a little bit later uh, in the show. Um, taxi shortage has been discussed before in Oireachtas uh, Committee uh, today. Uh, I look around studio, no offence Danny, <laughs> Ellen you're more likely to be out looking for taxis late nights than myself and Danny who are <laughs> up early in the mornings with uh, uh, kids. Uh, are there too few in the city streets do you think? I think so. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, my worst experience of it was actually the night of our Christmas party here. I don't know if you had any trouble getting home, but there was there was no. Now I know it's, that was Christmas party season. It's never going to be as busy as that. But um, I left about eleven o'clock. Of course, very sensible. Very sensible. That's not what I heard. <laughs> um, they, uh, yeah, you just you can't get a taxi, and there's you know this talk of you know, and even on the apps, the free now. I know we don't have Uber. Just nothing going. But there's also this argument that we all went into town on the bus. And we're expecting to get get driven home by a taxi driver. That's just not realistic. So there are two sides to it as well. But certainly it is, it's a problem. I know there is a new YouGov co- poll commissioned by Uber, which found for literally the first two weeks of, of this year, half of adults think there is a taxi shortage in their area with uh, four in 10 reporting concerns getting home safely basically because of that and as a young woman I can I can uh, uh, agree with all of that um, but then would if you it make, outside w- of the city w- like on worse. a busier night would you be more reluctant to go into town because of the trouble getting home yeah possibly it hasn't stopped me yet now <laughs> but the dedication to yeah, yeah, exactly yeah. supporting the local economy yeah. you know um, but it's something yeah in in the last two years you definitely have to take into account or sharing taxis that kind of thing certainly like it's you're just not going to get one on your own depending mm. on the night I would definitely think God I might leave early you know literally because of because of it or organise some other lift home a designated driver something like that like if, if I was at home outside of Dublin definitely I, I wouldn't rely on a taxi Danny the, the taxi representative groups uh, every time this is mentioned a shortage of taxis of course they say there is no such shortage they wouldn't be doing their job I guess if they didn't uh, represent the interests of their members uh, having said that I mean whether it's true or not kind of perception is reality and it's just another thing that in people's minds makes city centres, particularly maybe Dublin city centre, a bit of a no-go. There's a kind of a reluctance to go in. They listen to conversations like this and think, "Ah, that is more hassle than it's worth. Okay. There's no ambiguity that there is a shortage of taxis. You try and get off a plane at Dublin Airport, you can't get a taxi or you're standing in the the queue for an hour to get a taxi into Dublin. Um, All of this dates back to when Alan Kelly was Junior Minister for Transport about 10 or or 12 years ago. He narrowed the... So we had deregulation when Michael McDool brought in and it was a free... And you had the Carlsberg situation of of taxis down, you know, whatever street, because there was just an endless line of them. Alan Kelly restricted that only new licences coming forward were dis- had to be disabled licences, so it's far more costly for a taxi driver to get a, a, a kind of a disabled ready taxi. So it, it, it was an effective cap, right? Through COVID, we saw a huge wastage of taxi drivers just saying, I'm not, this is not for me anymore, yeah. right? So we do have an effective shortfall of taxis. And it's not just at night time, it's during peak hours of the day where you can't get them. You know, the rate of cancellation on the Free Now app, if, you know, mm. at peak times is just really, you know, it's just ridiculous. I know I live in Trumcondra, my two or three nights out over Christmas, I had to walk home every single night because there wasn't a taxi to be had. Now, I'm grand. Like, I'm yeah, mind myself. It's not an option for everyone. But, like, if that was my wife, if that was my daughter, or that you'd be thinking, like, that's not what you want. In yeah. a, and in a civilised, developed city, it's just, it's incongruous that we're in this position. Your point around, uh, you know, where are the 24-hour buses that you see in other cities? Mm. You know, um, it's not developed enough. I mean, really, like, if you're trying to get out to places like Stillorgan or Ballsbridge or you're trying to get out to Clontarf or Marine on the north side, what are your options? You're walking for a good chunk of it to try and hope to hail them down. Like, so there needs to be, an, first of all, I think there definitely needs to be uh, an increase in the number of licenses, like yeah. nor- normal licenses being given. I would think for new entrants, there needs to be an, a, a kind of almost an additional instruction that you have to work certain nighttime periods if you want to fulfill the, 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 the you know, so those peak hours are addressed. And second of all, I, I, or thirdly, I, I would make the point that uh, to a government perspective, you know, stop listening to the vested interests. 
listen to your voters, listen to the public and listen to the business owners in, in town who are being walloped between increased charges, increased... Mm. Oh, um, and I've been in the studio talking about the state of the inner city and, and how kippy it can be, yeah. the safety of the streets. You put all that together. It's not a really enticing package if you're a tourist looking to come to Dublin. If You, you know you know that it's really expensive and you can't get a taxi. It's yeah. interesting that you mentioned about, you know, getting a taxi from the airport even because I know the taxi groups make the argument that it's the night time that's the issue, that there isn't actually a drop in the number of taxi drivers they just don't want to work after dark because mm. of, you know, many cases of antisocial behaviour they've described. But like you say, yeah, you know, but it's it's it's, it's 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 a handy argument to say that over the last whatever 10, 15 years there hasn't been an overall drop in the number of taxi drivers, whether that's true or not. There's been a massive increase in the population, so there's fewer there are yeah. fewer taxis for everybody out there. Uh, that's the issue if the number of drivers stays the same. Uh, listen, there's been mention there by both of the of uh, the airport. So uh, Kieran Cuff the Green MEP was on yesterday morning on News Talk Breakfast talking about his uh, opposition to plans to expand Dublin Airport's capacity. Uh, and Daddy, he was joined today, kind of more significantly, I think, uh, by Junior Minister Joe O'Brien. Yeah, surprise, surprise, a Green Party minister would actually do something sensible. Like, <laughs> like we're an island nation on the edge of Europe. We have a cap. We, we've just built a second runway at the cost of 320 million. And we now have a ridiculous situation that because of this planning cap, like the number of flights coming in out of Dublin Airport is now less than what it was when we had a single runway in operation. This is inco- this is ridiculous. Like, I'm not a cheerleader for Michael O'Leary or Ryanair, but like, you know, this I'm talking about the economy. Like, why would you build a second runway if you're not going to have the capacity there to do it? Dublin Airport absolutely have to own up the fact that they did not get their planning application into Fingal on time. That's going to be a three to four year pl- process mm. in terms of the planning. And we know there's going to be objections we, like they've already been lodged. We know there's going to be appeals, etc. Like that. So the idea that this is going to be resolved next year in 2025 is just not is you know is just not believable. So it is incumbent on Eamon Ryan. It is incumbent on the government to, to future proof. Our, uh, our access because all it's going to do ultimately is if there's a you know it's a supply and demand issue mm. if if capacity is not going up and the you know if demand is there all it's going to mean are higher prices for for consumers uh, and and fewer trips as well because Ellen sometimes this lost in the argument the argument made against it by uh, people with you know environmental concerns is that maybe we don't need all of these kind of executives flying in on their uh, private mm. jets but again to go back to the taxi point. If the population keeps increasing and the cap in the airport stays the same, then all of us can go on fewer holidays. That, that's yeah. actually the consequence. In 10 years' time, all of us would have to do 25% less flying. Now, maybe we need to do that to save well, the planet, but I'm not sure if the penny exactly dropped. Well, it was arguing, and Joe O'Brien, I'm sure, like the point he was making yesterday on, on News Talk, that this idea that we'll just get on a plane, fly across the Atlantic and go shopping in New York for a weekend... We just need to move past that. That's not a reality anymore. I used to be the Celtic Tiger now. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) I know. But I mean, vice versa then is true. You know what I mean? All those US tourists who come here, are yeah. going to turn around and say, well, actually, no, you can't come here either yeah. and spend your money. We don't want it. You know, if we're, we're not going to send people over to shop in Saks on Fifth Avenue. <laughs> I don't know if anyone do that. Is that still a shop on Fifth but Avenue? Like, you might say, because I'm a pilot, but you, uh, you, know, you might just say, listen, I'm beating the drum. But like, aviation does unfairly get targeted in terms of emissions. It amounts for 2% of global emissions, you know, a- aviation, whereas road transport accounts for about 25 to 30% of emissions. Mm. Like, Where's the call for reducing the number of cars? You know what I mean? Or really tackling that? Um, I, I like. We cannot escape the fact that Dublin Airport 
99 or sorry, I think it's 95 or 96% of the passengers or people who come into the country come in through Dublin Airport. So all the um, sea ports and all the other airports account for a minuscule amount. It is incongruous, it is ridiculous that we have built all those facilities in terms of a new runway and we're, and we're going to battle with this stupid cap for the next two or three years at least. Uh, listen, we might talk about that later in the show. Uh, before I let you go though, uh, RTE, back in the news uh, today. So Alan, this is to do with the... Uh, package offered to the outgoing Chief Financial Officer. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Danny might be able to, to guide us on this one. Well, I just in terms of getting... So, obviously, there's been a lot of talk around the the departures of the senior brass uh, yeah. from RT in recent times and their kind of exit packages. Um, but, um, so, Adrian Lynch is... Is, is, is Adrian Lynch we're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. So, Adrian Lynch, I'm just getting my notes up here. So, Adrian Lynch obviously came in under uh, um, a significant fire last year before the committee. Uh, and ultimately, you know, there was a lot of question marks around his performance at the committee and his own terms and conditions. Uh, we now know in relation to, I suppose, you know, there was a voluntary exit package for, for senior staff announced before Christmas and kind of all staff before Christmas that was delayed somewhat. But we're now getting into the space of, you know, you saw the departure of Brian, Brian Dobson or retirement. Now, this is not linked to the wider scandal. Brian is just retiring. But I think what you're likely to see now is an exodus of senior people who are on high money before, I suppose, a kind of a, a re- reconciliation of their salaries is going to kick in. Um, and I think, I suppose, the other thing is that, you know, there are still remaining question marks around RTEs uh, I suppose tax status and it's I suppose it's it's kind of relationship with the revenue because there obviously were concerns around its its financial probity about its handling of uh, zero hour contracts and its its you know outstanding tax liability. So a lot of these questions are still bubbling up, beaten far beyond I suppose the significance of the toy show, the musical kind of controversy that we were talking about last week. Um, now these are far more in depth and probably longer standing and more structural difficulties that the RTE now have to deal with. Yeah, uh, to, to clarify, it's my own fault. It's uh, Breed O'Keefe as the former Chief Financial Officer. It was her um, uh, uh, package, exit, exit her package, exit yeah. package is the one that wasn't considered and approved by the Executive Board. So listen, it's, it's more questions uh, to be asked and reports as well that Revenue uh, are looking into those exit packages and questioning whether uh, tax should have been paid or more tax should have been paid on them. Uh, so further, as Danny says, further uh, financial um a spotlight being shone on RT and that would continue to be the case for some time yet. Uh, listen, thank you both very much uh, for coming in. Danny McConnell, the editor of the Business Post and Ellen Butler, News Talk reporter. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.